Hello, and welcome to Barks Remarks, the podcast where we talk about the stories from the legendary Carl Barks, creator of Scrooge McDuck and writer and artist of the greatest Donald and Scrooge comics of all time. Join us as we explore his longer adventure stories in their chronological publishing order. We'll talk about what makes them so enduring, their historical context, and how well they hold up today. So get out your reprint and get ready to enjoy our remarks. Welcome back to Barks Remarks. I am very excited for a pretty landmark episode here. Um, This is a special enough one that we got a couple of returning guests because I'm excited to talk Scrooge McDuck. That's right. We are finally at Christmas on Bear Mountain, the landmark story that introduced Uncle Scrooge. And um, let me have my guest hosts introduce themselves. Ryan. This is Ryan Bailey, uh, back again, uh, excited for some Scrooge action here. And Eric. Eric Hartley. It's nice to get into Mr. Bark's most famous character, which I'm excited for. Yeah, that's right. Were you guys expecting it to take this many episodes before we had a Scrooge one? Uh, until until I started the podcast, I actually figured uh, Scrooge is like what Bark's comics were about. <laughs> so it was weird to have you know, however many, the first dozen or whatever we've done so far, be uh, not feature him at all. I honestly thought we'd get to him sooner, but once we started, I was like, oh, we have to talk about all the comics he's done. Oh, I think we're going to be here for a while because we actually get to Scrooge. So nice to be surprised on that end. Right. We were in the BS era before Scrooge, before he even existed. Yes. Yeah, and it's going to pivot pretty quickly here. We're still going to have a number of Donald Duck stories, but it is going to be pretty Scrooge-centric going forward. Let's get into it. I'm going to talk a little background, and then Eric's going to give a synopsis. We are in November of 1947, still just a couple years post-war, and we're in four-color number 178, sometimes called one-shot number 178. I kind of glossed over reprints before. I just want to acknowledge that, including the original four-color printing, there are 12 U.S. printings listed for this story, which is a lot of reprints. This is a shorter one. It's only 20 pages. I I think this one is kind of spiritually like a 10-pager in many ways. Eric, you want to give us kind of the synopsis treatment for this story as you see it? Yeah, sure. Don and the nephews are broke at Christmas. Don't know what to do. Luckily, they get an invitation from Scrooge, who's their their cranky old uncle, who's never given them anything. The Scrooge decides that's what he wants, to have fun at the expense of his family, and they can either prove themselves worthy of him, or or he can have fun scaring the bejeebers out of them. Invites him to his cabin at Bear Mountain, but of course he's tending to scare them, pretending to be a bear. Hilarity ensues, and uh, they end up coming together as a family at the end. Yeah, very good synopsis. Thank you for that. That's right. We're going to be up on Bear Mountain at Scrooge's second most famous property after his Did money. Did they mention bit. other stories? <laughs> no. <laughs> not not even not even a little. <laughs> there are going to be whole aspects of Scrooge here that are just never mentioned again. I'm curious, before this, before we get into this, were you guys surprised by Scrooge's first appearance here? Um his look is really different uh than than what I'm used to, obviously from, you know, DuckTales or whatever, but uh otherwise uh no, not really. How about you, Eric? Um, a little bit, but knowing this is the first story and that oftentimes with comics, the artist has to feel them out a little bit before they find the look and the attitude they're going for. Whenever there's a comic character, they don't start fully formed as the artist intended. But it's nice to see that he, he's not too far off from what he becomes later on. So I thought, I thought it was a good representation of Scrooge. Cool. Yeah, this is kind of one of those backwards origins where they weren't planned to be... I think you can tell he wasn't originally planned as an ongoing character. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. <laughs> yeah, I could I could perceive that. Yeah, he looks like, a, you know, whoever, the submarine captain or, or whatever, that, that parrot that told him that they have treasure inside their restaurant. You know, just somebody, somebody to drive things forward for this one issue. It does look like he could be a one-off character. Right, he's rich old uncle plot device at the beginning. (laughs) Alright, so a little bit of background trivia. Actually, kind of a lot of background trivia because, again, this is a pretty significant story. First off, this is our second story that we'll do that is in the top 50 as far as fan rating. This is a very well-regarded one. As I alluded, Barks did not initially plan to use Scrooge as a recurring character. 
In a 62 interview, he said he just needed a rich uncle to own a cabin, so we're lucky that he gave him a bit of background color there. And then in a later interview, he kind of talked about the process of making the story and picking out different elements, right? He got to thinking about an old rich uncle, he said. Pretty soon, he brought in Bear Mountain elements. And then he figured out the reason for that being about testing whether Donald was a brave duck. I really like this part. The quote is, that's the way these stories build. I have a bunch of things that have to go into a story, and so I just keep feeling around for the best gags that fit in. It's like sewing together pieces of a shirt, and that does feel apt to me, you know, characteristic of this one. Obviously, Barks did decide to continue to develop Scrooge McDuck. It would just be five months later when he would feature him prominently in the Old Castle's secret, which I think feels spiritually like Scrooge's origin comic. Have you read that one, Eric? I don't think I've read, in reference to whether you read Old Castle's secret, I've possibly read about it and other stories mentioning it. Possibly sequel, I can't remember. I know enough of it. Maybe I have in the past. Or I know enough that I think I've read it. When you eventually read that one, you'll recognize a ton of elements from Don Rose's Life and Times, because that's probably the biggest single source for it. I would say that it's probably fair to say that Scrooge McDuck is going to go on to be Carl Bark's biggest legacy. Any article that you read about him is generally going to mention him in the first line or two, that he's Uncle Scrooge's creator. This is really his claim to fame. This this is more than anything what got him inducted into Disney's own Hall of Fame early on. This got him inducted into the Eisner Hall of Fame. I mean, his body of work, of course, but I mean, Scrooge is really what he's going to be remembered for. So yeah, this is a very significant story and very memorable among fans. This is a Christmas story, right? And holiday stories were really important to Barks. When you're writing a monthly comic, you know, it gives you um, a really nice, easy hook. So he did like to do a lot of holiday stories. I read a really good article that Jeffrey Blum, an editor who curated a lot of these stories, he wrote about, you know, Christmas was the, the biggest one for kids. It was hard to get too much mileage out of Easter. You know, Halloween a bit more, but Christmas holds such a fascination among little kids that he um, did, I don't know how many, but he did a lot of 10-pagers and a surprising number of adventure-length stories. We're actually going to get to cover a decent number of Christmas stories on the podcast. So, you guys, starting last episode, I was having fun delving into some of the alternate titles for the stories from languages from around the world, and I've picked six of them this time. And so if you guys don't mind indulging me, I'm going to ask us all to either embarrass ourselves or maybe impress with our pronunciation of the titles in different languages. Anyone want to start off with Chile? I'll start off with Chile. Uh, In Chile, they called it Navidad entre osos, Christmas among the bears. Excellent. I'm going to take on France, which I think is Nespasi o Kisa, which I think translates to, isn't that a bear? Eric, you want to do Germany? Germany, sure, I'll do my best. Naimut Probe, the test of Scrooge. Very nice. Let's, Ryan, you already got a Spanish language one, so I'm going to snatch Mexico, which is Navidad en la Montaña de Osos, which is a pretty exact translation. Ryan, why don't you take on Norway? <laughs> it looks like Yule Pa Bjorn Fjell, Christmas on Bear Mountain. Awesome. And Eric, that gives you Spain. La Pascua de los Ojos, Christmas of the Bears. Excellent. I would think of as Easter, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. But Spain being Spain, they're just going to do what Spain does. Well, and you know, I just mentally translated these if they were Spanish. And I didn't think too hard on that. I don't know. I guess it would be Easter of the Bears. Maybe someone can explain that. Maybe the consensus actually is Spain going to Spain. As, as Eric Awesome. Thank you, guys. Hopefully that's a fun feature to keep. I always like that. So the top value range, you guys, for this one is going to be much higher than most of the ones we've done. Anyone want to guess what? I'll tell you, I I found there was one documented sale, an issue that was rated 9.6. And the last one, we did an episode on Ghost of the Grotto and um, Adventure Down Under with Ryan and Ben. You guys know Ben. Two separate episodes, same issue. So that one was valued at $7,500. What would you guess this 9.6 is valued at, Eric? 9.6. The first appearance of Scrooge. First appearance of Scrooge McDuck. I'm guessing it's going to go higher. 16,000? 
What do you think, Ryan? Mm, I'm going to go 11500 This documented sale, according to my sources, was $100,000. Oh, my God. Oh. I don't... Is it autographed, too? You know, from what I understand, that actually diminishes the value. <laughs> it does. That lowers the grade. Yeah, for the Golden Age comics, you don't want it, if that's what you're chasing. Mark, somebody somebody likes these comics a lot more than you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so yeah, this one is quite valuable and quite special, at least for being that footnote in history. So now I'm going to talk about some of the historical context for this one. There's not a ton of it to go into, but the very obvious thing to mention, right, is that Scrooge himself is clearly based on Ebenezer Scrooge from A Christmas Carol. Everyone knows this. It's not new information, but we got to check it off. I would say this is a pretty extreme caricature version of him, pretty hateful of everyone. I... I guess that's in line with the original Scrooge, but the way he's going to shape up to be doesn't really match the original one. And then it's interesting, A Christmas Carol is one of the most adapted media ever, right? So Barks certainly would have seen this, maybe in the movies. Um, contemporaneously, I think the biggest adaptation was in 1935, and that one was actually called Scrooge. And I think that makes sense. That's probably why he went with the name. The other thing, when I read this one and I see the nephews get this sort of wish-fulfillment Christmas right, it strikes me that it sort of matches up with that post-war America on the rise. You know, it kind of reflected the American promise of prosperity at the time. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think that's a good interpretation. Well, by naming him Scrooge and having Scrooge be a, po and having Scrooge be a popular character, a known name, and what it represents... You get a lot of exposition and preparation yeah, for the audience of this character, just by saying that one line. Rich old Uncle Scrooge, and everyone knows, like, oh. They don't have to spend a lot of time with backstory. It just automatically catches the audience up, and it's a good device that way. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a great point. This is incredibly helpful shorthand. And you're right, this is a lot of character development in one name. So let's see, this is uh, the part in the podcast where I usually talk about notable appearances, and I mean... Obviously, this is the first appearance of Edgerton the Butler. Yeah, you know. It's a big deal. It's, a, it's an incredibly big deal. And the driver. What was the driver's name? Was it Jeeves? James. I think it might have been Jeeves. I don't think it was. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, James. James. So my mountain cabin, James. That's right. So obviously, this is our first appearance of Scrooge McDuck. We are not going to take much note of Edgerton because once he jumps out of that window, <laughs> he will never be seen again. Which is ironic because he was the character in this comic who was least likely to be eaten by a bear. You would have thought if anyone would return, it would be him. <laughs> That's right. All right. So we also get to talk about kind of the version of the characters we get in these. And this is one where we get to talk about both Donald and Scrooge. And our version of Donald is one that we get pretty often, right? Donald in economic distress, a very poor Donald. But this is passive poor Donald. There's going to be a lot of stories where he's poor, but he's striving to make something of himself. But here he's just kind of sitting back. And I don't even know how to describe this version of Scrooge because it's so incredibly disconnected <laughs> from any other version. Any reflections or questions before we launch into the fairly short story itself? No, I'm good. All right. So on the very first page, we open with the ducks just generally despairing that they don't have enough money for a good Christmas, and they're wishing that their rich old Uncle Scrooge would remember them. And you know, I like this because he's laying on really thick barks to show how poor they are. Donald's doing the classic showing his empty wallet. <clears throat> he actually opens with Donald saying, oh, woe is me, woe, woe, woe. And then we cut to Uncle Scrooge in his mansion, and he is just despairing Christmas itself, wanting it to pass. And we learn that he's different. Everybody hates me, and I hate everybody, he says. I liked, I, I was impressed that uh, in his very first frame, he hates Christmas. <laughs> like, maybe the first time I ever saw Scrooge McDuck was in Mickey's Christmas Carol, in which he plays his his namesake. <laughs> Um, and, and I figured they made him hate Christmas because that's, you know, what, what the role is. But um, that's how he was introduced. That's the first sentence out of his mouth. <laughs> that's true. It's canonically correct. I also wanted to point out in this frame where he's sitting alone in what he describes as his big lonely dump, uh, I wanted to describe some of the decorations around sure. him. 
There's a, a vase here with a duck on top of it. I can't tell what the duck is holding. Something round. Could be like a like a vase that it would be pouring water out of. Could be like a bowling ball for all I know. But it's just perfectly round with no detail on it. Then on the back wall you can see just a framed picture, perhaps a painting, of just money. Just bags of money with bills around it and stacks of gold coins. Because here's a man who just does not love anything except money. <laughs> and so he likes to decorate with what makes him happy, which is money. And then on the far right is my favorite. There's this um, fancy lamp, uh, like a tabletop lamp that uh, has a round body. And on the round body of the lamp is a painting uh, that appears to be him chasing another duck, possibly Donald, with his cane, like to hit him. And the other duck is running away with his beak open. <laughs> yeah, a couple of good sight gags. This is, I guess, the very first of these background art features of money, of which <laughs> there are going to be many, many in Barks and other creators' stories. How about you, Eric? You talk about Uncle Scrooge like we should know who he is. If only Uncle Uncle Scrooge remember us, but he won't. Because none of the audience remembers Uncle Scrooge. That's so. so on the next page, we see Scrooge pacing around in his mansion, thinking about how everyone else has fun with Christmas and brainstorming how he can have fun. And he decides that he does want to give a present, but he wants it to be a test of his lazy nephew, Donald Duck. So he sends Donald a telegram, inviting him to enjoy his well-stocked cabin on Bear Mountain, and he adds the coda, P.S., don't let the bears scare you too much. So we've got a nice little setup here. Any comments, gentlemen? How many bears have to be on a mountain to name it Bear Mountain? Like, is it thick with them? Was there that one bear that one time? You know, it's a misnomer. It's actually a plateau. <laughs> Um, I also got the feeling, uh, uh, the very first frame of this page strikes me as, as him looking out of his Mr. Burns window. It looks like he's, he's in like the Mr. Burns mansion or, or the nuclear power plant, just looking out the window at the peasants below. That's what that strikes me as. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It definitely looks like <laughs> that. And a lot of sight gags I'm realizing on this reread. There are a lot of sight gags with art on this page. So a question here on this one. Is it that Christmas presents are no longer fun for him, being the richest duck in the world? A, no one can buy him anything and he can't, he can't buy himself. Or B, no one's going to get him something because it's so challenging to shop for him because he can just buy anything for anybody. I think in this version, he hates everyone and has never given or received one. It's because he's a cold, hard man. The only thing he loves is money and chasing other ducks with his cane. All right, so on the next page, we've got Scrooge talking with his butler about the possibility of whether Donald is brave. And he dismisses it, but, you know, he's planning to have fun regardless. And then we see the ducks journeying to the cabin. Nice panel of them arriving. I think it looks like a very appealing place to stay. And then when they get inside, they see it's been incredibly well provisioned. It's got plenty of toys and games for the kids and a full pantry of delicious looking food for them. So they all celebrate and cheer their Uncle Scrooge. Generosity, you've ever seen Scrooge do in any of the comics he's featured in? Because <laughs> it's all part, of the, all part of the ploy. Yeah, I just know that in later comics, and he's trying to teach a lesson, he still tries to do it on the cheap. And we have enough lack of continuity that here and there he is going to be generous in some stories. But you're right, for the most part, he's a stingy old miser. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, he didn't actually uh, put any of the food or gifts there. He just made Edgerton do it, certainly. <laughs> so on the next page, we've got Scrooge preparing for his test. We see him enter another room, ask his butler for help, and when Edgerton comes back, he leaps out. He's been dressed in a pretty realistic-looking bear costume. He scares the heck out of Edgerton, who promptly jumps out of the window, saying he's going to start his vacation now. And like I said, we'll never see him again. He either fell to his death, or he decided that that was the last straw. Lots of vacation days saved up. He's just on an extended sabbatical. Yeah. Right. And so Scrooge heads to the cabin, directs his chauffeur, James, to take him there. And we briefly cut to the ducks anticipating Christmas the next day. And Donald is starting to feel uneasy about bears. And so on the next page, they are looking outside as it gets dark and starting to see that it's snowing. Donald wants to take a look around. We get a nice little sight gag where he mistakes a squirrel a few paces away for a bear. And uh, Donald's pretty much a quivering mess all <laughs> before anything has given him any reason to be afraid. He's hiding up on the light dish. And then we cut to Scrooge. And the bad weather has thwarted his plans. And he has to turn around and wait for tomorrow to make it to the cabin. 
and he's upset that his nephews are going to be enjoying everything in the cabin on his dime. And he says, I've never given a man a free meal in my life. So I love that that the one comment in his invitation of don't worry too much about the bears was enough to just like plant a seed of unending terror in Donald's brain. <laughs> that that plus the uh, the the place name on the map, right? Those sure. two things were enough. <laughs> the last thing Donald said on the previous page was, "I hope nothing happens to spoil our fun." Like bears, I mean. <laughs> and he looks out the window and is terrified by the squirrel. But yeah, it's just, it's the only thing he can think about at this point is just bears. They must be everywhere in the wintertime. And I love that the boys are able to tell, uh, no, you don't really see bears in the snow in the wintertime. They're sleeping somewhere. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I like that too. I think that's the funniest and best aspect of the story, how he just escalates over basically nothing. So on the next page, we see the ducks really enjoying the nice feather beds in Scrooge's cabin. And by the next morning, the snow is piled up. They get a white Christmas. They get to have some snow play fun. I like this line here where Donald asks them what they want to have for breakfast. Either fricasseed caviar, lobster Newberg, or filet mignon. The nephews say a dish of oatmeal. None of that cheap stuff. This might be the line of the comic for me. He says, you'll get Lobster Newberg and like it. Who do you think is paying for this? Me? <laughs> and uh, later on, presumably after a lot of Lobster Newberg, they're enjoying a nice cozy fire. The nephews bring up the one hitch that they don't have a Christmas tree. And they needle their Uncle Donald into going. They say they'd like him to go out into the woods and cut one for him. Yeah, I like uh, that the kids are too poor to even like or want any of the fancy food <laughs> they're just like they're like i'm not used to any of this this is weird please just give me some oatmeal <laughs> right i assume they're young kids with an unsophisticated palate who are like oatmeal like every morning. yes all right so, do you guys know how to make lots of newberg is that no i have no idea I know that donovan know how to make the very fancy dish no, I know I've heard of it, but I don't know what distinguishes it from any other lobster dish. The first time I ever heard of it was reading this issue of this comic. So, because uh, I grew up next door to these uh, ducks uh, in their same neighborhood, so... All right, so the nephews are really pleading with him to get a tree. They're trying to convince him there's no bears out there. They throw an epic tantrum that's the only thing that will get him to go out amongst all of those bears. And he immediately runs back in saying, he's, um, saying he saw bear tracks. When the nephews go to investigate, they see it's just a rabbit or a hare or something harmless. And Donald grumps the whole way looking for a Christmas tree, and they realize that the trees are buried under all of the snow. I can only imagine the kind of uh, psychosis that would have to be going on in his mind to look down at... Uh, they do a good job of conveying how tiny these tracks are in the snow, that surely no, no bear, even a newborn bear, would be able to produce tracks this small, much less pose a threat to... And I like that the rabbit is just, like, sitting harmlessly on top of the hill observing the ridiculous duck. And I love that this is the same Donald that at one point in another story went to a swamp in Florida where they know they had gators. Yeah, but at least it wasn't named, like, Gator Gulch or something that would have been all he could think of the whole time. <laughs> so the ducks search and search and eventually have to settle for a scraggly-looking tree that only has a few branches and a big suggestive hole in it. But, you know, it's got some charm in it, kind of like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. So they cut that one down and carry it back. And again, yeah. it is a suspiciously heavy tree. And by the time they get back and decorate it with some colorful pop bottles, the nephews are thinking it looks pretty good. Donald just looks at it hatefully because it nearly cost him his life as far as he's concerned. So he goes to get some more expensive food. And as the ducks all leave the tree, we see a couple of eyes in the hollow and a little bear cub emerges. And the bear cub growls at a toy teddy bear that's about his size. And the ducks hear that and go to investigate. Uh, so this, uh, this, this page had what for me was the line of the comic where on, on his way to the fridge, Donald says, After risking my life to get that tree, I need vittles. What'll we have, pests? I've decided I'm going to adopt that phrase uh, as I'm headed to the kitchen to feed my kids. <laughs> right. And they do. do you need vittles? Not, not vittles. <laughs> <laughs> what do we have, pests? <laughs> and it seems like uh, they do have more sophisticated. Say, lobster Newberg, Daddy, you want lobster Newberg? <laughs> I was going to say how fast have the palates, the nephews' palates improved. Strawberry shortcake, yeah. frog legs, and the winner, quail hearts in cream sauce. Yes, 
sounds insane. That sounds pretty adventurous based on my knowledge of American cuisine <laughs> around the the greatest generation era. And let's not forget, these are waterfowl eating fowl. Yeah. We can't think it's about true. that too hard. I thought about I actually thought about that as I was reading this and then I thought, you know, I eat a lot of mammals. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So I said they go to investigate, but it's just the nephews who go because Donald immediately knows it's a bear and he jumps on the counter to hide right away. The bear manages to hide itself by the time the ducks are in there. And, you know, it's the classic gag where the bear looks like the stuffed animal it's hidden next to. Donald sniffs around. He says he can smell that there's a bear in the house. He says he's got palpitations of the gizzard, which is a fun way of saying he's freaked out. And when their backs are turned again, the bear goes and finds their strawberry shortcake. So my thought was, my thought was about uh, the old, the old trope of like you'll get your inheritance if you can spend a night in this haunted house or whatever. And 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 I feel like I know where this is headed, you know. And and Scrooge has his bear outfit that he's going to use to uh, uh, scare the jeepers out of them and and test their metal, you know. And then. <laughs> We get this kind of double fake-out going on. I, I was thinking of uh, the movie Captain Marvel, where Talos the Skrull is terrified of the cat, and everybody's laughing at how, how silly he is to be terrified of a cat, because he's an alien, and he doesn't know what cats are, and he assumes it must be some kind of terrifying monster. And then later we discovered, that's not a cat, that is a terrifying monster, and it starts swallowing all their enemies. And I love the, the two layers of gag there, because each layer is funny on its own. And here we have kind of the same thing here, where they hear some harmless noise, and Donald goes, that was a bear, I know it. And it's because he's totally out of his mind with fear about bears, and yet, he is correct. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah, that is some good comedy there. And he's absolutely right to be afraid, based on what most people know, that if you see a cub, there's a good chance Mama Bear is there as well. But it's only through, like, complete accidental boneheaded rightness. <laughs> That's true. If everything is a bear, eventually something that is a bear, you will be right. What did you think about Palpitations of the Gizzard, Eric? Well, that, I was going to say, I love the old-timey phrases. That's right up there with, hey, kids, stop harassing Uncle Scrooge. You're going to give him the vapors. That's <laughs> in so many comics. Whenever he's like, oh, Scrooge is old. He's going to get the vapors. Then the Palpitations right. of the Gizzard. And my read of this is that it's supposed to sound, like, out of time, even for this era. I'm not sure, but I, I think this is just supposed to be like, he's he's using a really funny way of saying <laughs> I'm trying to imagine him saying that in a Donald Duck voice, and I don't think I can understand it. So when I read these, you know, in my mind's ear, he's not using the Donald Duck voice at all. He's using the classic narrator, totally easy to understand voice. And Barks never makes any jokes about it being hard to understand him or anything. Ever since that first issue where he was a streetwise tough guy, I've, I've kind of been reading him as a streetwise tough guy. I'm, I'm picturing like an accent from Queens or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So on the next page, you know, the ducks are kind of huddling, wondering what's going on. They see the strawberry shortcake's gone. None of them have eaten it. So we see Donald just getting progressively more and more freaked out. He's back to the light fixture and the nephews are thinking that he's probably right, but they're brave enough to go investigate. And then the kids are out of the room, the bear cub comes out, and does some investigating of its own. Yeah, it's interesting, the bear uh, returns to its uh, to its hollow inside the tree. Have we mentioned the giant hole in the tree? Yeah, I mentioned it, but I probably didn't describe it that well. It's accurately big enough for him to hide in. And so the bear kind of lunges at one of the roller skates. At this point, Donald has decided it's safe to run down. It's not. The bear runs him over, and he gets bowled over. He doesn't see what it is, but it leaves some bear hairs. So he cries out, and again, back to the light fixture. He quiveringly tells his nephews where the bear headed, and they follow. And then the next page sees the nephews tripping on that roller skate and briefly knock themselves out, long enough for the bear cub to hop on and try out the skate. And when their uncle calls out to them, they're, they're able to respond. They're okay. And they go to the parlor where they hear the roller skates. This is a fun, this is a very like Scooby-Doo kind of moment as they're all bumping into each other and happen to not actually see what the threat is as they are accidentally knocked out of their senses against the wall and that sort of thing. Yeah, you're right. If this were animated, it would be easy to picture the classic running from room to room. <laughs> exactly. Opening gag. Very shaggy question to have. Have you been eaten yet? Answer me. Tell me if you've eaten yet. Pretty sure it's accurate, but I... Oh. So they pursue the bear on the next page, and it runs back into its tree hollow, grabbing a box of chocolates on the way. And they finally figure out what's been making all the noise when it tosses the empty box out. 
One of the nephews goes up and drags the bear out, just exclaiming, so. <laughs> I like that. Just affirm, so, when you've established something. I think I'll adopt that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, boy, the kids the kids have really had it. They were they they wanted a Christmas so bad, they wanted some Christmas presents. And if somebody's going to mess with their roller skates, even if it is uh, an apex predator, they are having none of it. And I guess this will start a pattern of Scrooge being impressed by the nephews, or he should be impressed by them. They're always the ones living up to his expectations. So the cub gets away, and we cut over to the stump of the tree, which appears to be the top of the bear's hibernation spot, because Mama Bear realizes that the cub is gone and emerges, I should say, absolutely destroys the stump emerging from it. She is absolutely enraged, as a good mama bear should be. She tracks her cub to Uncle Scrooge's cabin. Ryan, can you describe her entry for us? <laughs> uh, terrifying monster. Uh, she tears the door from its hinges as she storms into the front door. Yeah, she looks pretty fearsome there. So the nephews are still looking, and they manage to convince Donald to come down by telling him what a tiny, insignificant little bear cub is. It's another level of the whole screwing with Donald. There's no bear. There's no bear. There's a bear. Oh, it's just a small bear. It's not dangerous. Oh, it's a big bear. <laughs> oh, the, yeah, the misdirects. <laughs> yeah, the misdirection is pretty good in this one. So they, they continue to convince him on the next page of how incredibly tiny that bear is, um, which gives Donald the confidence to, to venture out. He rounds a corner and he immediately encounters the snarling mama bear, who looks genuinely terrifying. And he gets off a pretty good line. If that's the bear you saw, he's grown pretty fast. And we get the cartoon gag as he and then the nephews (laughs) leap out of the window in terror. Yeah, yeah. The the nephews talking about how tiny it is, one of them one of them has to be two inches off the ground. If Donald can hear the footfalls, he can hear the footfalls of a ladybug around the corner. <laughs> so on the next page, Donald has jumped out of the window and he says, Ryan, you want to cover this one? He says, give me land, lots of land, don't fence me in. So I was like, he's quoting something there. So I looked it up. Uh, all of you Western music fans instantly recognized it as a very famous song. Uh, it's called uh, Don't Fence Me In. Written in 1934, uh, music by Cole Porter, um, members of the Western Writers of America chose it as one of the top 100 Western songs of all time. Originally written in 1934 for Adios Argentina, an unproduced 20th century Fox film musical. Wow, that's awesome. It was performed in 1944 by Roy Rogers, then slightly later in 1944 by Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters, who recorded it in 30 minutes, and it became the number one song in America for eight weeks. He's not a man to do a second take. Yeah. So anyway, this is, uh, this was, you said this issue's from uh, 49, right? 47, I think. 47, okay, yeah. So this is three years after it was, you know, the gigantic smash hit. Right, so this is a contemporaneous reference. Pop culture reference, yeah. Yeah, and I knew the song. I'll see if I can find a nice snippet of it to hopefully put right here. Give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fend. I think I've heard the Roy Rogers version. It's kind of yodely. And so on the next page, we see the bears take over. They trash the presents. They enjoy the ducks' food. You know, the ducks are just staring in through the window, watching their Christmas get destroyed slash devoured. And Mama Bear falls contentedly asleep by the fire while they're shivering outside. And I like this page a lot. And it it takes a page of a 20-page story. So maybe it's a weird thing to say this. But I almost wish he had gone more, gone on further with this. Because it could have been fun to continue seeing the bears trashing Christmas. I like that these bears are obviously hibernating and woke up. And like, oh, I have to expend energy. What's the first thing they do? We need to stuff ourselves once again to make up for having been interrupted. Yeah, and there's no hibernation like Lobster Newberg hibernation. <laughs> after after eating a whole box of chocolates. And quail hearts. Yeah, that's right. All right, so the ducks watch the mama bear drift off, and the nephews tell Donald, you've got to slip inside and tie her up, and he reacts as well as you might expect to this. But they point out, you want to be frozen out here? And so he very trepidatiously goes in to deal with mama bear, while they very bravely go after baby bear. And pretty great and famous sequence here of Donald approaching Mama Bear with his knees knocking in terror. And when she lets out a sigh, he just absolutely loses it and faints in I fright. love that his knees actually say, knock, knock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so brave are those nephews. It's the three of us are taking on that one that's smaller than us, but you have Uncle Donald. Oh, come on. It's a bear. 
The other one is asleep. The mom is asleep. This is a live waking bear looking at them in the eye. They are ducks. (laughs) All right. So in case you forgot, Uncle Scrooge was in this story as well, because this is where he returns. He gets to the cabin. He's kind of spying on them. He gets into his bear costume. He enters and immediately sees the bear cub. He leaves behind the sofa in time to stay hidden, but sees his little grandnephews chasing the ferocious beast, as he calls it. (laughs) So he can see they're fearless, but he continues on to try and scare Donald, because that's who he really wants to test. He wants to know whether Donald has the gizzard of a lion, but um, he has palpitations of the gizzard, unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. All right, so on the next page, when he does spot Donald, he sees Donald sleeping on the arm of a monstrous grizzly bear, and so he's convinced that Donald's just like him. He doesn't know the meaning of fear. But as soon as the bear sighs again, Scrooge freaks out. He leaps out of the bear skin and runs away. He tells his driver about how brave the nephews are, and he wants James to invite them to the feast of their lives at his mansion tomorrow. And meanwhile, he's going to think of an appropriate present for Donald. Uh, this is a this is a great resolution. This is a great moment in any farce where uh, we get uh, the kind of culmination of everything. <laughs> you see the results of all the uh, chasing from room to room and misunderstandings and nonsense going on. Uh, and now Scrooge has incorrectly judged his his uh, nephew Donald to be the bravest duck in the world. That's right. It's all going to come together. Scrooge did the exact same thing Donald did, except oh, the bear sighed and he runs away. Scrooge just completely abandoned the bear costume, which I don't know if someone's going to wonder, why is there a bear costume? And so Donald, you know, as much as Uncle Scrooge says, oh, my dumb nephew's a pretty cat, Scrooge ran too. Yeah. Are you suggesting some hypocrisy? (laughs) Uh, Although uh, Scrooge ran away from uh, a live bear and Donald ran away from tiny rabbit tracks in the snow. So there there is a differential. (laughs) Scrooge doesn't know that. Yeah, that's true. So the last page has the ducks at that celebration. The kids are enjoying some toys. Scrooge is having the time of his life. (laughs) I don't know what, but it cracks me up. He says, boy, am I having fun. Wow. Here, Don, have another peanut. It's very non sequitur of a line, very unscrooge-like. And so after dinner, he's going to present Donald with a present and takes it out with an unnecessary flourish and freaks Donald out by presenting him with a genuine Siberian silver-tipped bearskin, which promptly makes Donald faint. And the nephews do a good job covering for him by saying, Donald must have eaten too much turkey or peanuts. And the last panel has Scrooge rationalizing this by saying for a moment there, I thought he was scared. Uh, we get some more good onomatopoeia from uh, Donald's head hitting the floor with a punk. Yes. And the uh, trademark X's for eyes That's to right. show that he's he's out. There's a picture of money above the couch. I don't know what it is. If it's a statue of a coin or if it's a light. I think it's light. the base of a lamp. Oh, yeah. I like that Barks immediately really got into the money motif of Scrooge, an element that is only going to pick up. Well, I'm wondering if it's just this. This is a kid's comic. We have to show that he's rich. That's the easiest way to show he's rich, just to have pictures of money around. Yeah, it's always funny, though, to see someone who decorates that theme. You guys, we did it. We talked about Christmas on Bear Mountain. Scrooge has now entered the conversation. What did you guys think of this landmark introduction to Scrooge McDuck? I liked it. It was good. It was a very simple story, but it was very funny and has the right comic beats that Donald didn't screw up. It's nice how it changes a little bit. I mean, Donald, the evolution of Donald is that sometimes he's brave if he has to be. Other times he's a coward or other times he's mean. And this one, he never changes. He's always the scaredy cat. And he tries to be brave, but he fails. And and that's okay because that's who Donald is. Yeah, I like that. I think it's true and it's fairly consistent, I think. There's select ones where he'll be brave when Barks needs him to be, but it's usually with a pretty good reason. He doesn't usually stick his neck out unless he has to. Did you feel like if you had read this, not knowing what was to come, would you have expected any more of this character? Well, I mean, at least in some of the other ones being one-shot characters, but it would have been nice to surprise to have him expand the family, which, you know, introducing characters in the comic is hard, especially when you've already established a main character to be kind of a band-aid and start writing these other characters when you have the nephews and Donald and it's pretty much set. To introduce the new character, that's going to be, that's pretty bold. I mean, I would not have expected knowing how these comics operate, but it's neat knowing that there's once a side character is now the character. Yeah, it definitely paid off for him. 
What did you think, Ryan? Uh, if I was reading this as a one-off, I, I could see I could see Scrooge being uh, used as the kind of um, home base sort of character, sort of kind of anchor for the the family of adventuring ducks of Donald and the nephews going off to check out some mystery or whatever, and then you know calling home to Uncle Scrooge for to help out with some pick them up with a plane from you know whatever island they're stranded on or something like that. Um, I could see him being a you know recurring uh, recurring side character there. Maybe continuing to be a sort of uncle plot device. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Right. Yeah, like I need someone to go explore Hidden Valley. Will you do that? <laughs> yeah, oh, Uncle yeah. DSX, Uncle DSX Machina when they need some help in a pinch. <laughs> right. You know, I forgot to mention um, on the very first page. It's weird to see the nephews refer to him as Uncle Scrooge instead of Uncle Scrooge. I'm not sure if this is the only time that happens, but it might well be. Um, So, you know, we we always check in on the index general consensus as a good way to to see how the average fan feels about this one. This one has a very high rating. You know, as I mentioned, this is in the top 25. It, It clocks in at number 25 for all of the Disney comics. If you're only looking at the Bark stories, there are only two in the top 25 that are not Barks. There's like one Gottfordson story and one story by Romano Scarpa. So this is like the 23rd best rated Bark story. It's got an 8.1 out of 10, which puts it in like the 99.9 percentile for best. I would say that it's probably a pretty big inflation, right? Just because it's such a notable story. Because personally, you know, I, I do like this story. It's a lot of fun, but it's a very slight story, right? It's it's not it's not very it's not very deep. It's it's pretty silly. It's just what it is. It's a fun little holiday yarn, <laughs> and uh, it's got some good slapstick. But I I don't personally regard it as anything special, story wise, other than just coincidentally kind of having Scrooge. I think if you took Scrooge out and just put in like a generic Uncle Moneybags character, um, this one probably wouldn't be regarded as well as it is. That's not to come down hard on it, because I do think it's a lot of fun, Um, especially once you get past the fact that Scrooge really doesn't resemble much of what he's going to go on to. You know, I, I think it's interesting, too, that this is one of the longer stories that has... It feels like a 10-pager to me that's been expanded out into a 20-pager. A lot of the 10-pagers have this sort of theme of the ducks having to dealing with money problems. And we don't see that in as many of the adventure-like stories. I think I think if it had been a 10-pager, I think it would have lost some of the um some of the punch of the uh the double fake out and the, you know, different kinds of farcical elements uh that we got to draw out and then get the get the payoff for i think we would i think it would have lost something i definitely agree because i think part of why this works is you get to see that steady buildup of donald getting more progressively freaked out which is better to see over the course of 20 pages because i do think it's really funny this is one of bark's funnier stories at least of this length which are not always as interested in being funny they're more often interested in being adventurous and exciting Because it's not one of those far-flung adventure stories. It holds up pretty well. There's not really anything in here that's problematic. We don't have to acknowledge anything that's kind of retrograde. There is some kind of fun archaic stuff in here. It's neat seeing Donald get delivered a telegram at the beginning. Um, the whole concept of like a bear skin as a gift, right? I've seen these skins in old cartoons a lot, but I don't think that bear skins are really a thing these days, except I guess for eccentric billionaires. I, I am an eccentric billionaire and I can confirm, yes, that is that is what we're into. Yeah, well, there you go. Boy, appearances in other media. I mean, even without going into the fact that Scrooge is going to be a major character for more than just Carl Barks, you know, this story became a huge part of what Don Rosa is going to base life and times of Scrooge McDuck, his uh, epic telling of Scrooge's history on. Because he uh, he chooses to have the final chapter, issue 12, I guess, of that saga is basically all about the period of time in between It starts off when he leaves the cabin, basically, before they have their dinner that night, and it concludes later after this. 
So Don Rosa had dealt with this day in his own comics. There have, um, there have been a couple other comic stories that have referred to this. There was a sequel someone else did called Return to Bear Mountain. I know I read it a long time ago, but I can't really remember it, so I'm not sure how well it holds up. But I'll have to take a look. Barks did do one of his oil paintings on this. It's called Merry Christmas. It's a pretty great image. It's a painted version of Scrooge scowling in his chair from the very beginning of the story. So I'll put that up on the Facebook page. Um, I don't think there was really anything too educational about this one, but again, it was a lot of fun. Favorite panel. I really enjoyed a few of these panels. I enjoyed seeing how well stocked the cabin was. You know, the panel with the um, fridge full of provisions the ducks were gawking at. I, I think I mentioned enjoying the panels of Donald getting frightened. And then, you know, it's it's hard to resist that panel of Donald having fainted in the bear's arm. And then I guess some of the establishing panels of Scrooge, him sitting in that chair scowling. What about you guys? Eric, any uh, any panels come to mind? I like the treatment of the mom bear popping her head up and hulking out, and then just the ridiculousness of the mom bear ripping apart the stump that she's in, and then bashing down the door to help establish, you know, the whole thing. Oh, it's a little bear cub. Oh, it's a little squirrel. Oh, it's a little rabbit. And just overemphasizing how big and how loud and how scary she is. I agree. That's a pretty great sequence. What about you, Ryan? Um, I, I think I'm going to go with, uh, there's one, uh, as the bears are eating the chocolates and opening the presents, uh, there's a shot in between of just the three nephews and Donald from behind, from out in the snow, looking into the glow, the warm glow of the inner uh, cabin there, of the window, just watching. As they say, that's the end of our candy and presents. Sigh. And it's just kind of the culmination of all our misunderstandings and, and craziness and setups going on. And now they're just barefoot in the snow outside on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve or whatever this is. Just, you can't see anything inside except for the yellow glow of just the, you just imagine all the warmth and Christmassy uh, love and goodness that's inside being demolished by bears. <laughs> yeah, that is a great one. I looked at that one too. Excellent. Um, any, uh, any closing thoughts, guys? One or two thoughts on a question. Mark, you said later on he kind of goes back and used them for the old castle secret. Do you know if he brought Scrooge back because he wanted to use the character? Or was this issue so or see that he felt like he needed to use Scrooge again? That's a good question. I don't think he got a lot of correspondence about how well the issues did. I'm sure they had circulation numbers on it, but he was he was anonymous for so much of this. Like they always stamped Walt Disney on the comics, so no one knew who was doing these until much later when some dedicated fans sniffed him out. I wasn't sure if the editor came up with come up and said, oh, that's a really good comic and character. You need to go back and expand on it. Right. And I'm guessing it was all based on reading the interviews he did and just how he took on the character. I think it was probably his own relish of using the character. That's why he went back to it, because he obviously was highly motivated to use him. The other comment I want to say is this comic, these, these comments are obviously geared towards kids. And I think that's the reason why the nephews are so prominent and such the heroic figures in these comics so they can kind of identify with them. And that's attitude back in the 40s and 50s, of kids getting in trouble and mischief and not backing down. But it also makes you wonder, this is the old trope of the wish fulfillment, of I wish I had a rich uncle that would swoop in from wherever and treat me whatever I needed and help me have a wonderful Christmas. And you see that and you see that in old-timey movies, and it's just that wonderful, oh, you're the rich uncle, you're a rich aunt, now we can do this, now we can do that. And in the direction, now these kids are just getting by, now they can, hey... Now they live the highlight. That's such a kid wish. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a great way. Probably one of the more plausible ways to have that kind of wish fulfillment, right? Uh, is where your your uncle is a, a bitter man who's trying to play a trick on you. <laughs> well, going forward. <laughs> yeah. Anything else, gentlemen? No, I don't think so. I think this is the, the funniest one I've read so far. I, I laughed out loud a couple times uh, reading this one. They had some solid, solid gags. Yeah, I thought this was good, solid writing, better than the run of the mill. I mean, you're right. I think it's iconic because the introduction of Scrooge, but you know, otherwise, it's an above average story. Yeah, I appreciate that comment, Ryan. This one is maybe not as showy as some of the adventure ones, but it is a really good, well crafted piece of comedy. 
All right. Well, thank you guys for coming back for our introduction to Uncle Scrooge McDuck. And thank you listeners for joining in. As always, if you've got any thoughts or comments, you can drop us a line at BarksRemarks at gmail.com. We've also got the Facebook page as well. And uh, join us next time as we talk about the story in Darkest Africa. Thanks. All right, so we are back here with a genuine kid for our Ask a Kid sequence. Welcome back, Mia. Um, remind us, what uh, what grade are you in? I'm in fourth, about to go in fifth grade. Excellent. And uh, you got to read Christmas on Bear Mountain, the famous first appearance of Uncle Scrooge McDuck. First, Mia, what did you think of the story? I liked it. I thought it was really funny, and I enjoyed the sequence and the story. Awesome. Yeah, I think this one's really funny. It's not as adventurous as some of them, but it's um, it's a very funny one. What, what did you think were some of the funniest parts? At the end, where Uncle Scrooge shows Donald the his bear the bear pelt, and he fainted in <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Um, what did you think of, uh, of Uncle Scrooge, this being his first appearance? I thought it wasn't one of his best ones, but I thought it was. he was really funny in it. Right on. Um, right on. How about the nephews? I, I thought it was kind of cool how much of the story they were in. What did you think of Huey, Dewey, and Louie? I thought it was really funny that they were encouraging Donald and that they weren't afraid. Well, they weren't always afraid. They weren't afraid of the little cub, but they were kind of afraid of that big one. (laughs) Right, which seemed pretty sensible to me. Um, Awesome. Do you have any other thoughts or anything else you wanted to say about this story? Any other favorite parts or anything? I like it when Uncle Scrooge is in that bear costume and he sees the little bear and he is he is in horror and in so much shock. <laughs> that was fun. All right, awesome. Thank you so much for coming back, Mia. Mm-hmm. Give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fail.